This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Let's pause. I love this text. This, this whole section right here, it's like there's a part one and part two. I'm going to preach part one, and Pastor Aaron is going to preach part two next week. But chapter three and chapter four, this is a continuation of this event right here. And, and, and last week, we started going into what that community life looked like. They said there was dedicated or devoted to, to prayer and devoted to, to fellowship and devoted to, to breaking bread and devoted to, to reading scripture. And it, it wasn't like, hey, it's one or the other. Like, this was what the life looked like. They was devoted to these things, yeah, yeah. right? And it was all encompassing. This is what the, the life of the believer looked like. You are devoted to the things of the gospel, devoted to, to prayer, devoted to, to, to walking these things out. And so we start this particular text off with that same thing that's happening. Peter and, and, and John, they're, they're, they're walking to prayer. This is just was part of their life together now. This is just an ongoing of what you just seen. And they're, they're on their way to prayer. And, and, and as they're heading over there, there's this, this guy that's evidently, he's been lame since birth. And the routine was they would carry him and, and, and on, to, on the way to the temple. When they got to the temple, instead of going into the temple, he was always laid outside of the temple, hoping to, to get some attention from those that was going into the temple, hoping to get a little bit of love, a little bit of help from those that was going into the temple. Now, we read this text, and, 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 and I think you have to start wrestling and asking the question, acknowledging um, some, 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 some things that's going on here. Like, why does he not, why is he not inside the temple? Why is it that he's just outside the gate of the temple? Why is it that these guys come like, I'm going to take you, but up to the gate. Let me drop you right here. Does he not want to go inside? What's going on here? But why is he just here at the, at the gate of the temple. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking and I'm trying to, to grasp it because it, 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 the same people that he's asking for arms outside or on the inside, and he could be inside with them. Why is he just outside? And you start to, to, to look and, and you start to realize that because of his ailment, he was both culturally and socially ostracized. 
Because the fact that he was, he was paralyzed, he was just, he was culturally and socially ostracized. And, 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 and it wasn't just uh, in society, even in, in the religious world, there was, there was this thing where it was sort of like, they, 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 they thought that a person like that, that, that was born with an ailment, it's more than likely it, it was like punishment for sin. In John 9 and 2, the disciples are talking to, to Jesus about a, a, a guy that was blind from birth. And they ask him, they didn't, they didn't ask him, hey, is it from this? They were just trying to figure out. They're like, all right, all right whose sin is, is, is this for? Was it his own sin or was it his, his parents' sin? Right? And they just get straight to that. It must be this. So, so a lot of times, that's people, people look at these people like, oh, that's a sin issue, and that's a punishment for, 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 for sin. They're just trying to wrap their minds around it. And you start to realize that, that there's this, this, this possibility that he wasn't allowed inside the temple, or he just wasn't comfortable going inside the temple. But however you, you look at it, him being inside the temple was socially awkward. So he's always outside the gate of the temple. You read this, when you read the Bible, you'll see certain reoccurring things that, that happen that, that it's important to see it there because you see it um, today. But as you read through the Bible, especially as we, we trek through track to, to, to Acts and, and we, we go into the New Testament, you, you see the ostracizing, rejecting, and the marginalization of those that, that, that are weaker, those that don't have as much status, those that, 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 that aren't um, the people that, that everyone looked up to. You see this happening over and over and over again, those that, that are, 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 are weaker being ostracized. And it's important, I think it's important when we read the Bible, right, to see, to see the rejection of those that are weaker, to see the rejection of, of, of those that are, are outcasts of society, it's a, to see the rejection of, of, of those that aren't in, in, in dominant positions, to see the rejection of those. It's, it's important to notice those things. We can just read through it and just get to the glamour scenes, but it's important to notice those areas too, because if you notice those areas, what you'll also notice is Jesus' response to those same people. You'll notice how Jesus reaches out to those same people, whether it's, it's through his own personal ministry or through his ministry that's through his people, the church. But it's important to, to, to note these things so you can note the response of Christ through the church or through his own self personally to these things so that us as the church today, as a continuation of what was going on back then, understand what our response should look like. Because sometimes people out like they don't know what they should be doing and, and probably we shouldn't do this and we shouldn't do that. But if you look at how Jesus responded, if you look at how he responded through his church back then, then you know and understand how we should respond now. Come on. Come on. If you didn't 
fit into society's category, you was devalued. You was deemed unneeded. And, and, and many times you, you see even, you begin to see yourself through those same lenses. And you begin to believe that same thing about yourself, that there is no value to me. I am unneeded. You start thinking about those, those same things. You don't see yourself as, as somebody that's, that's important. And, and, and so the idea of being in the midst of other people that you view as important becomes awkward to you and uncomfortable to you because you don't see yourself as equal with them. I remember talking to, like we have this, this ministry here um, on, on, on Sundays in between services where, where we, um, we have breakfast or brunch with the city, right? And, um, and some people that are that's just going through hard times um, will Will, will come. And I remember talking to this one gentleman that would always, he would go, right? He would go, he would have breakfast, and then we'd be like, hey, you can come and, have, um, and worship with us too. And he would come as far as the coffee bar, but didn't feel like he can come inside. He would come as far as the gate, but didn't feel like he had accepted society's definition of him as, as unvaluable and felt like coming inside of here, like, I don't deserve this. I'm, I'm not worth that. So the closest, and I, and I told him, and I'm like, yo, yeah, let's, let's fellowship together. Let's worship together. And he, and he like, like, nah, you don't know how my life has been. You don't know the type of things that he has accepted that as, as his identity. And he says, man, I didn't, he didn't feel that he deserved to enter into the gaze. And I'm like, dude, none of us do. Like, I don't deserve it neither. That's just, it's about his grace. Man, I struggle and I'm wowed at the fact that God accepts me. And I hope that we hear this and we look at this thing, and I think that we want to see it naturally and also see it spiritually. Because, because on a whole nother level, you can have that person that, that, that comes into the church, but doesn't fully give himself to, to, to the work of the Spirit of God in and through his life because he's looking at his own personal self and saying, I don't deserve this fullness of, of the Holy Spirit inside of my life. So he sort of just stares at the gate. He stares at the threshold. He can listen to the music, but he can't really engage and give himself to the Holy Spirit to live inside of him because he's looking at his sins. She's looking at her sins and she's saying I don't deserve that, counting themselves out. They've accepted just the gate. That's why I think verse 4 is so important. That's why I think verse 4 is so, so, so huge and is overshadowed by, by this display of power that happened when he says, man, get up and walk is overshadowed by that. And a, and a lot of people jump right to that part right there and they skip over what happens in verse 4 and they jump right to the part where, where the miracle happens. 
But in verse, verse 4, something very important happens. When the, when the gentleman is asking for alms, they say, look at me. They stop and say, no, no, look at me. You can just picture him. His head is down. Accepted what society says about him. If you could just, just give me something, that would be cool. And they're like, lift your head up. Look me in the eye because you are valuable. This, 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 this restoring of, of dignity by acknowledging value, by just saying, no, 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 no. Look me in the eye. You're no lesser than me. There's something about looking someone inside the eyes, and, 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 and sometimes that's why we ourselves, when, when we struggle with even looking people inside the eyes that we feel that we're being a blessing to, because to look them into the eye is to confront their pain. To look them into the eye is to identify with something, and you don't want to do that. So sometimes we can say, hey, I can give this while still being a little bit disconnected. But looking someone inside the eye connects. And that was the first thing he did. No, 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 look at me. We as the church are stewards of the mysteries of God. As being those stewards, stewards of the mysteries of God, that's the gospel. And being stewards of the gospel is our job to, to remind people of their intrinsic value and worth to God and in God. That's our job. reading. Verse 7. I'm just going to walk through this. Verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. Walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. I love this. Because they didn't just... First of all, they, 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 wasn't, they didn't give him money, but they gave him something much more, which is the use of his legs, which was oh, dignity and value. Peter and John look him in the eye, acknowledging his value, and then raises him up. Like, he extends their hand like, no, 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 stand up. Raises him up with them, standing right next to them, and then they enter the temple together. It wasn't just, hey, let me just do this, send you on your way, or I'm just going to do this and I'm going to go do my thing. But they raised them up and they entered the temple together. What a picture of inclusion. Yes. You're one of us. Come on, let's go in together. Then he goes in and he jacks the service up. He like, yo, these legs, and he starts, oh. Come on, come on. <laughs> hey. 
No, no, no. There was no way that those legs wasn't going to praise. There was no way. He's like, okay, I know y'all reading y'all books and things like that inside here. And people are like, what's that? But it's beautiful. It's beautiful because he's worshiping God. What God has done is a big deal. I think he, he gives this exuberant praise, and too many times we, we, we want, we'd rather give God this, this, this private praise when he died a public death so that you could worship him. He died this public death so you could worship him, and in your worship of him, you'd rather it stay private. He didn't die in like some corner somewhere someone stabbed him up. He died in front of everybody. It's like we have this issue with, with PDA concerning God. I look at this and I'm like, man, he was blessed with strengths in his legs and then he used his legs as a tool to give exuberant praise, exuberant worship. Like imagine, imagine all the things that God has blessed us with inside our lives become tools to give exuberant praise to him. Man, God has blessed me with a marriage, and my marriage has become a tool to give exuberant praise to, to, in front of everybody to the one that blessed me. God has blessed me with this job, and the way I work at my job is a way to give exuberant praise to God. Imagine if that's how we see it, and everything that God blessed us with. It meant so much to us. It was no way we're not going to praise and exalt our great king through how we use that thing. This is what I see here. It's beautiful. get back to reading. Verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people were utterly astounded. He ran together to them in a portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Will you deny the holy and righteous one and ask for a murderer to be granted to you? And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man the perfect health in the presence of you all. 
couple of things here. The people, they, they see what happens here, and they, and they see the guy, he's leaping, and, 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 like, and they acknowledge that something phenomenal has just gone down. They see Peter and John walking in with them, and they, and, 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 and they connect the dots, and they come um, astonished, and, and they come hovering around them, all like, whoa, that's crazy. Look what y'all did. You guys are off the chain. Crazy. And, stuff. and they're like, yo, the who is important. The who is important. Listen, this is why they take time to make sure that they're they're not getting it twisted. They understand the who is important. Understanding the who gives context to the what. It changes everything. Listen, if Peter and John were the source of the miracle, then it just ends with Peter and John. It's, it's, it's just entertainment. If Peter and John were the source of, of the miracle, then the miracle is something finite in nature and that's it. But if Christ is the source of the miracle, the implications is much deeper because that means you have to acknowledge that that, that one dude that we thought was lying and and we sent him up to get killed actually is alive and doing the same thing that he was doing before now. That's that's something different here. The who gives context to the what. Like, get this. If your spouse is is the source of the love, then, okay, well, he or she decided to marry you. That's just what they're supposed to do. And they should do it. But if God is the source of the love through your spouse, then you're being given something that's undeserved grace through your spouse by God. So how you respond to your spouse now is an act of worship to God because God is loving you through them. The who is important. We got to fill in the blanks here with the who is important. The source is important. beautiful things you see in this life are meant to draw our attention to the author of life. That's what they're meant for. That's why they're here. To keep reminding us of how beautiful God is, how awesome God is. The, The small mundane things are meant to draw your attention to the creator of that small mundane thing. The beautiful acts of love that you see are meant to draw your attention to the source of love. He says, but you tried to kill the author of life. Peter goes on and he talks to them and he says, what you see happening here It's something that's been done by faith. 
By faith, this person has been healed. By faith, he's been made perfect. Question, whose faith did the healing? Question, was it the, the guy's faith? I remember going to this revival a long time ago, and I remember that there was a time where, where the guy says, okay, you know, we're we about to heal this, this lady. It was a lady inside the wheelchair. So he's like, all right, both of you guys, two guys stand behind her. I'm about to heal her, right? And then he lays his hand on her and says, okay, she's healed. Lift her up. She ain't going to need that wheelchair no more. So they started lifting her up. Lady wasn't healed. Like, dude, do not move that wheelchair. This is about to go bad. <laughs> and they're trying to lift her up. And, and he's like, be healed. Then eventually he gave in and he, he, he said, it's because you didn't have enough faith. You didn't get healed. So my question is, whose faith healed this person then? Many people read this text and, and they believe it was the faith of the lame man, but the lame man didn't even ask to get healed. He asked for alms. It was Peter and John's faith. They're the ones that was listening to the Holy Spirit and believed the Holy Spirit was about to do something and faith acted on it. They believed the Holy Spirit was, was moving to heal this man. This man asked for, for alms, and they believed the Holy Spirit said, give him more than alms. You don't even have alms to give, but I sent you here right now to give him something else. It was according to, to their faith in what Jesus was doing. See, this kind of faith pertains to, to what you do because you believe. Now, you have saving faith, which causes you to believe in Jesus Christ, but there's another faith that's, a, that's what you do because you believe, what you do because you have faith that this is where God is leading, this is where God is going. This is how people live missionally because they believe God is doing a particular thing and in faith they live a certain, certain way. That's how we, we missionally engage inside this city. It's like looking right here, we believe that God is doing something phenomenal here at Alhambra, in, our, in the city of Alhambra. We believe that God is doing something incredible because we believe that God is doing something incredible, that, that, that Jesus has a heart for this city and is doing something in this city. By faith, we act and we walk out believing that God is going to do what God is going to do. When we believe God is doing something, what you do in reflection of what you believe is an act of faith. 
So if you believe God is going to restore your marriage, then what are you doing as an act of faith in that then? If you believe that God is going to, to work here, what are the things that you do that reflect your faith and what you believe God is doing right here? Or do you just stand back and wait for God to do it? Imagine if they just did that. I believe that God is going to heal this man. So Peter and John just stood there waiting for God to do it. And God is like, yeah, I want you to move. Let's pick it up at 17. And now I know that you've acted in ignorance and did also your rulers, but... What God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. I mean, by now you, 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 you realize that, Jesus, that, that Peter and, and, and John are not just responding to people, but they took this as an opportunity to preach. Yeah. And they start preaching the people, but what they're preaching to the people is the same thing as before. They're preaching this, this gospel, and it's the same thing. They preach Like the gospel never gets old. It never gets tired. It never, like, it's never coming to a point in time when it's like, well, I preached that last week. I don't need to tell them the gospel this week. Let me give them something different. He's preaching the same message. Every message was going to point back to Christ. Every message was going to point to Jesus. Oh, you you tripping about him getting healed? Let me tell you about Jesus and what he did on the cross. And he helps them to understand that, that, that true refreshing comes from God. Like, they don't even realize they need to be refreshed. And it's like, yo, listen. Repent. That times are refreshing. God gives us these, these moments of, of refreshing that's in him. That, that he keeps giving us these moments and pockets and moments of pockets of refreshing that's in him. Leading us to the time of restoration when he comes to restore all things. There'll come a time we don't need moments of refreshing and times of refreshing because we will always be drenched in his love, drenched in his grace. But until you realize the fact that you are dehydrated and you need him, you won't even come asking for the water. He gives these moments of refreshing, moments of rejuvenating. He points them to, to hope. Let me go on and come back to this in a few minutes. 22. Moses said, 
The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, in your offspring, you, will, you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Most of the time when people think about the blessings of God, they, they, they connect it to something material, something like, man, I've been blessed with a house. Oh, I've been, been blessed with good health, or I've been blessed with a car, or I've been blessed with a spouse. Man. But very, very, very rarely do they talk about how blessed I am because God has turned my heart from the wickedness that it was caught up in. I, I, I forget about everything else. The thing that I'm tripping about is that my heart was wicked and hated him. And, and, and I've been so blessed because he turned my heart. How many people you hear just rejoicing just about that? My heart was changed. What a blessing that I see beauty in Christ. What a blessing that is. That I'm no longer hostile to him. What a blessing it is. That I found true richness and beauty in him. What a blessing it is. He turned my heart from the depths of wickedness that had entrenched it. Listen, I want to get ready to close us out. And the band, you guys can, can, can come up now. The band can come. I'm gonna, I want to close us out. I want us, I want us to think about this. Before Pastor Aaron comes up to, to, to close us out in, in, in communion, I want us to understand this. What you see happening here They're walking out what was talked about last week. They're, they're, they're living in the context of, 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 of community. And as they live inside this context, as they, they walk this thing out, they're doing certain things. As they're doing certain things, they're saying certain things. What you see happening here is word and deed. So many times we could, you have certain churches that like, man, they, they're more focused on, 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 on word. They could, they could preach a good word, talk a good word, sit down and read a whole bunch of more words, but there's very, very little deeds that follow those words. 
Or you have those groups that like, man, they do a lot of good things. They do a lot, a lot, a lot of good things. And it's like, man. Do a lot of works. Do a lot of things. And, you know, I'll probably occasionally preach the word once in a while. But just do a bunch of things. But that's not what you see with this church where it's like, you do a lot of things, but there's little word, or there's a lot of word, but there's no things. And the, these things aren't separable. This walks hand in hand. Word and deed walks hand in hand because, because the deeds flow from the word. The words give weight and power to the deeds. The deeds flow from the words. The deeds confirm the words. The words send the deeds out. These walk hand in hand. They're not separable. What you, you speak is also what you live. What you live is what you speak. And if that's not matching up, then there's a, a breakdown somewhere. They come together, and when they come together, and, and Peter seizes the moment to preach, like, there go my moment. And he gives them the gospel. Listen, we hear that word gospel thrown around so much. But sometimes we can make the the mistake of assuming people get it and understand what the gospel is. Now, Peter wasn't, he wasn't taking that chance. Listen, understand this. The gospel is two things. is truth and grace. Same way how, how, how they lived it out, word and deed. The gospel is truth and grace. It was both Together. They're like, here's the truth. Here's the hard truth. You killed him. You murdered him. The same guy that, that's doing the works right now, you offered him up to be murdered. And even when Pilate was like, yo, I let him go, you like, nah, give me that murderer instead. People don't want that. People don't want you to confront them with the truth. Just tell me about the grace. Just tell me how good God is. But the truth makes the grace that much more beautiful. The fact that my, my heart is jacked up, the fact that I, I murder Christ over and over and over again by just denying him and I don't deserve him, make the grace that he wants me still and knew I would do that. And still died on the cross for me. It makes that grace that much more beautiful. They, they can't be separated. It can't be, hey, listen, let me just give you just the truth, but no grace. That leads to hopelessness. It can't be, let me just give you trace, grace, but that without the truth, because that leads to confusion. There's no truth there. You don't even understand what you're being saved from. You don't even understand how filthy you are so that you can appreciate the one that came to restore you. 
listen, if there's anything, I, I, I hope that you walk away from as, as Pastor come, Aaron comes up here to lead us in communion, is that you can't separate these two. What you see happening is them walking out what they believed, but also preaching what the truth was. The people needed to understand the truth. They need to understand that our hearts are, are hostile to God, that you the one that sent them there. But yet still, he's coming after you with love. This is the difference. We'd rather people just give me one or the other, but it's both and. And that's how we live, both and. I'm going to pray, and then Pastor Aaron is going to close us. Father, I thank you for your word today, Lord. I thank you for how you've, you've kept us to this moment in time, Lord. I pray that these, these, these truths, your word, uh, would, 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 that you will plant them deep into our hearts and our soul, and that you would uh, cause them to sprout and bear fruit, Lord. We honor you this day, Lord. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.